Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. Our guest today is Dane Inslee. He is the founder of Reconstruction Unlimited. He has worked as a coach for the world's leading interventionists and has traveled the world working with a broad spectrum of clients. Dane's encouraging attitude, patience, and understanding has allowed him to carve a very distinct path in the wellness industry, and his core beliefs that good things can be born from struggle, which we're going to talk more about in this episode, is both humbling and motivating. This ethos resonates with all that work with him. Dane truly believes that everything good that has ever happened to him is a direct result of him helping someone else. So today we're going to talk about Dane's own recovery story. And we're going to talk about struggle and how we can turn struggle into positive change. I really resonated with Dane. We're very much on the same page about help, support, struggle, reaching out, what it means to be a strong man in our culture today, what that really does look like. And I think we just had a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it as well. And if you are enjoying the podcast, think about sharing it with a friend. Thank you all who have done that. I really appreciate taking the time to support the Addicted Mind podcast. And you can join our Facebook community. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and continue the conversation online. All right, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today, Dane Ensley. And we're going to talk about Reconstruction Unlimited. We're going to talk about struggle. We're going to talk about masculinity today. Dane, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you, and we're going to just jump into our conversation. Yes, sir. 
My name is Dane Ensley, and I run a business called Reconstruction Unlimited. We are a mental health coaching agency. What I say we do is we design therapeutic ecosystems for our clients. What that means is we assemble groups of people, professionals, paraprofessionals, uh, clinicians, therapists, and we surround a client and help them through struggle. We do that in a multitude of ways, and it's always custom, right? It's We design these teams of people to help people through whatever they're going through and do it in a very creative way. I'm from Los Angeles. I'm in recovery myself for almost 12 years now, and I've had my own challenges throughout that process. I obviously had tremendous challenge before that process and working through all that stuff definitely has influenced my work in the field. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. And I, and I love that. I love the idea of customized treatment because you were so all unique in our ways and our needs and our traumas and our stuff that it really does take specialized care sometimes to really, really help us. So let's go in and talk about your story a little bit and how all of this grew out of that, of your own experience of, of struggle, because you mentioned that on your website too. We grow out of struggle. So let's just jump in and talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up here in LA. I come from a gigantic family of people with all sorts of stuff going on. There's plenty of addiction and alcoholism in everyone's story, whether they are an addict or an alcoholic themselves or, you know, their parents or their grandparents or their cousins, aunties, uncles. My extended family is gigantic. So the amount of struggle and the amount of trauma and the amount of drama that has surrounded each and every individual is pretty extraordinary. So growing up here in L.A., with all of those people was an amazing way of being introduced to struggle and challenge and how to work through that. And there were some great ways I was taught to work through that stuff. And then I also missed a lot, you know, being right. from from a family that is constantly in flux and my, you know, my parents divorcing and moving to new schools and being sort of transient in our own lives because of just circumstance was an interesting way to grow up. And I think I missed some things that maybe some other kids were getting. And there was an element of neglect within all of that that yeah. wasn't intentional. I have amazing parents and I have a very close relationship with them to this day. But you don't get some things and it, it starts to shape you, right? And I started to look for those things elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when uh, we talk about neglect, and even if it's like that unintentional neglect, it can have a huge profound impact on us or on a person because they 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 end up going totally internal mm -hmm. and rely on themselves. And they, it's harder to reach out to others and harder to form relationships, even though it's not necessarily intentional, that, that can happen. Totally. Yeah. And I think that was the case. And so I started to look for connection elsewhere. And I think a big part of my story growing up was I always wanted to be a part of something. Right. And right. I think I found that. And I think we all do as humans and as as men, women have it too. It's not a it's not unique to just men, but I am a man. And and I relate to it on that in a sort of tribal way of I was looking for 
this connection with other men that I wasn't yeah. necessarily finding. And, and when I did find it, it was with the wrong men, right? It was with people who were not engaged in positive masculinity, right? It was, you know, the kids that were up to no good. It was kids that were getting in trouble. And there was some part of me, and I don't know exactly, Dwayne, I don't know exactly where that comes from for me, but there was a part of me that was very attracted to that. So I connected with people like that, with men like that, or young men like that. And it led me into drugs and alcohol and some elements of criminal activity. And that sort of shaped my adolescence and it shaped sort of my young adulthood. And I learned a lot from that stuff. You know, I look, I look back on yeah. that now and I'm really grateful that I went through that because it's influenced my recovery process tremendously. If I didn't go through that pain and struggle, it would, I think I maybe still be, I, I still might question my recovery process. Right. right yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think that totally makes sense. I mean, it, you know, well, two things. I think, you know, as men, that idea of the man box that we're supposed to fit into and told this is this is what it is to be a man. And a lot of those things, you know, you're you're always strong. You don't have emotions. You're always stoic. You know, you're always powerful. You're always on the on the prowl especially if you're a heterosexual man, you know, you're always, you know, all those kind of things. And, and we're taught that that's what you're supposed to be, you know, and, mm -hmm. and if, and if we don't belong anywhere, right, we don't feel we belong anywhere, we start to take those identities. I mean, that's what our culture tells us. And it's kind of becomes detrimental to us. And then of course, creates a struggle, right? Because we're not really connecting, we're causing all sorts of harm to ourselves and others. And addiction is a great way to cope. It is a great way to cope. It's, well, I think, one of the best ways to cope. You know, you find this thing that that generates all of these feel-good emotions in your brain, right? It's you don't even know it's really happening as it's happening in real time. But you, you've, I've found something in drugs and alcohol that I couldn't find elsewhere, and that was comfort. And it was almost this level of security where I didn't have to, I didn't have to find the right ways to cope with my pain with my suffering with uh, my internal struggle and the negative self-talk it was take this pill smoke this thing drink this thing and you'll feel okay unfortunately it doesn't last and it doesn't you know work forever and it's becomes incredibly detrimental as we know long term which it did for me and it's amazing the levels of delusion that we have while we're going through that process. And, you know, I, I grew, I also, there was this other side and there's always this dichotomy throughout my story of, I grew up in a 12 step program. My mother has, I don't know, I think she's getting close to like 30 years in the program. And I would be, you know, smoking painkillers in my apartment downtown LA, reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I couldn't make the connection of, oh, this is who I am, right? This is, I'm engaged right. in exactly this story and and this is, I am an addict and an alcoholic. I just thought, man, this is a great book. This helps so many people. What an awesome tool for people, but it, it never sunk in for me. We, we I, as, as human beings, we are such a great capacities for self-delusion and it's amazing. And not until maybe the struggle gets bad enough that we really have to look, then we can kind of go look back and go, wow, how did I 
do that. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a trip. And then I got sober, you know, in sort of a flash of lightning kind of moment. It was I was in my apartment and my mom and my dad and some of my family came in and they said, you know, we know that you know you've got a problem. And in that moment, I had a sort of an epiphany and realized, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I am an alcoholic and that this is not normal. And this sort of living hell that I'm going through is is changeable. Like I know I've seen people change, you know, I've, I've had friends that have gotten sober. My mom is sober. My grandmother on my, on my dad's side is sober, like 50 years or something. She's almost a hundred years old and she's super old school. And so all of those experiences I had around the program as a child really influenced my entrance into my own recovery, right? right. I, I was looking for something to be a part of, and then I found it. And that was, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing to not even know it was right in front of me my whole life. And at the same time, looking back on those early childhood experiences in meetings with mom, it was like, yeah, I want to be like these guys. I didn't want to be an alcoholic and a drug addict. I just wanted what they had. Even as a kid, I wanted this this connection. I wanted this element of spirituality. I saw the men in that program and thought, wow, these are strong men. You know, there's something about their level of vulnerability all the while these tough exteriors and having that, that sort of that combination of the two being sensitive. I, I think being sensitive and powerful go hand in hand. You have to be sensitive to be powerful. Yeah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now absolutely and I'm thinking as you're talking because you know that person you were there it's like i see all this that i want and and i see these people having this thing yet it, you have to work to get it you you have to do the work and it's like that's maybe where our struggle and our pain come in to like it, it's not i want to say it's for free but it's not for free I don't, I don't know how if that makes sense it's like in one level it's for free it's there for everybody but you don't you you have to yeah, you have to do the work to get there. You certainly can't buy it. Yeah, you certainly yeah. can't buy it, Dwayne. You know, you yeah. gotta, you've got to go through those struggles. And I was allowed to. You know, my family allowed me to go through the struggle of active addiction. And they intervened at a perfect inflection point, right? Like right. they knew that system and they said, okay, here's an, here's an opportunity and we won't get this opportunity for another X amount of time. So we need to take right. this opportunity. And that was so, it was so well dialed in that it allowed me to then step into the next struggle, which is the, the actual getting clean part and rebuilding my life. And I was so young when I got sober. I was 22 years old. So I hadn't had all that. I mean, 
I always like to say I had that, you know, there was a whole life I lived before then. And I lived quite a, uh, an extensive amount during those first 22 years with all my experiences. But then this side of things, the last 12 years have been a tremendous learning experience where I've had many struggles and, you know, the common things like, again, getting sober and learning how to be sober and learning how to be more than sober and being connected to myself and my body and my spirituality and all of that. And then growing and building a business and building relationships and getting married and buying a house and all these like things that you sort of hope to do, I guess, as a human being, and then doing them and really walking through them with with a lot of experience in struggle and having that be it's it's a confidence and i think the the you know the intersection between masculinity whether it be it doesn't have to be heterosexual masculinity but it's just right. it's being a man and having that masculine energy and and understanding what that is i think the intersection of masculinity and struggle is confidence like there's a confidence comes in there where it's if you've had all these experiences and you can then give those to other people you seem i don't know for me i've walked through my life really leaning on the lessons i've learned through all of that struggle and that's influenced who i am as a man i don't know if that was a little convoluted but it makes no, sense I, to I, me I on think some that makes level sense too you know because you're learning uh, that being, how do you say this? It's like being a man and, and being able to embrace your humanity in a whole compassionate, full way brings us to that, to that space where we can connect to that. We can connect to that through community and other men, but we have to step outside of that old paradigm of masculinity if we really want to have connection which is you know the masculinity of kind of staying stuck in that man box that you know we're, we're supposed to be this is what a man is and this is the only way he's supposed to be and we realize we're not that and, and we really get freedom when we when we step out of that i wanted to go back a little bit though and talk to you about that paradigm shift because i think everybody mm -hmm. who's struggling in the midst of the struggle can't you know, they'll be like, struggle, I, I, there's no way I'm getting out. Like, I can't see the benefit of the struggle when I'm in it. You know, it's like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. And there's this paradigm shift where you can reframe struggle as something about growth. And I, I, I want to talk about that, like that paradigm, because it's, it's hard to get there to, to see that. Yeah, I, I think the way I've been I best described it is you're already struggling. Like we we are all struggling all the time anyways, whether we feel like we are or not. It's a normal thing to do as a human, as an animal, right? Like if we really wanted to be sort of scientific and, and talk about evolution and talk about, you know, the world. As animals, we struggle. And as humans, we struggle. It's, it's, it's a normal part of life. And, and having a relationship, a healthy relationship to struggle is it makes us that much more proficient in our own lives, right? The moment at which I got better was a gift. I was delusional and I was very good at lying to myself and others about what was going on with myself and I believed my own BS 
And then I didn't. And I think that's a real gift, Dwayne. I didn't yeah. go through, you know, I didn't go through the sort of decades of delusion and then realization and then delusion and realization and kind of going back and forth. And I really got, I got the opportunity to wake up in that moment. And I think a lot of people don't have that. So speaking to those people is, again, we're struggling and you're struggling on whatever level that is with whatever issues you're dealing with. The struggle beyond that, the struggle of getting better is so much more rewarding I think that's a, it's like a sort of a unique yeah. selling point of struggle is do you want to struggle in misery or do you want to struggle pushing forward in your life and being productive within the struggle? Because I now I'm at a point where I look forward to struggle and you know, that's, that's not always true. There's certain things I don't want to do and there's certain things that still yeah. create discomfort and I, you know, and I can't, can't be bothered to do them. And then I always remember that if I struggle this way, I have that as a reference point. I have that to lean on in the future. And I'm sort of ahead of the curve in ways where I can then use the, another unique selling point is of struggle is you can use all of that accumulated struggle to work through the next thing because it's, it's not it's a constant in life. You know, I think anyone yeah. that sells you on this idea that you can transcend struggle entirely is that's the wrong way to do it. You know, we're always going to struggle. We're always going to have to overcome whether it's a man or a woman or whatever. It's finding ways of becoming comfortable with the discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to, I was just about to say that I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like, the struggle really becomes like two things. One is uh, that you're not as uh, afraid of the struggle. Like it's not as fearful. Like you, it loses some of its fear, not necessarily its pain per se, like you said, but the fear of it. And then you, that realization that you can embrace that struggle and the energy that goes into that struggle can be re redirected into a, a different kind of energy or a different thing, a, a different way. Now you leverage that to create a new life, to create something different than just like kind of piling on the struggle with more struggle. And there's an exposure element too, Dwayne, I think now, and, and everyone gets there when they get there. And, and I don't, you know, it's up to you to decide how you want to navigate struggle, especially in a recovery process. But now in my life, I look for struggle, which seems sort of counterintuitive or weird to some people but if we look at the model of struggling day in day out with this thing that is sort of not productive when we switch that struggle to okay now i'm recovering and i'm becoming productive in my struggle i think the next evolution of that is how do i find struggle like how do i actively seek out these things that are challenging Maybe it's not struggle at this point. Maybe it's just like healthy challenges that create a, an element of discomfort internally where we can grow from that, right? There's right. the growth. It's, it's okay, I'm going to, and I'm, I'm like an avid hunter. I love to go hunting and it's, that's really, it's really hard to do that, you know, if, unless you're sort of hunting from a truck out in the middle of nowhere. We, we go on these huge epic adventure hunts and it's, right. it's not even about the animal and processing the animal. It's about the experience. It's about being with your buddies and going through all of that struggle and difficulty and having this amazing, almost transformative experience. Every trip I've been on in the mountains, 
you learn something about yourself. You learn something about your kit. You learn something about your friends. You learn something about nature. And it's incredibly influential when you become a seeker of struggle and discomfort because then you're meeting it and you're confident in in meeting it and you can you're no longer afraid of it you you accept it as a inevitability and you're going to learn from it and that's a beautiful paradigm to be in in my opinion yeah absolutely and that's where so much life satisfaction comes into when you start to to embrace that so let's talk about getting there uh one of the Mm. things that you had also mentioned you know, is the importance of community and others. And like you had said, you know, you had these people around you who could see you, you couldn't see yourself. And they were able to intervene in that moment, that kind of moment to help you get out of your delusional thinking, you know, right? They they did it at that right moment. And that's such a, a blessing to have. But I, I think, you know, talking about community and the importance of others in that journey as well. Yeah, it's it's also a very sort of interesting time culturally, societally to be connected and be disconnected. And and I know you've talked about this on your podcast of the struggles people have had during a pandemic, you know, and being connecting with and and we've yeah. all talked about it for the last couple of years of c- connection within an element of disconnection, like forced disconnection. Community is Another, I think, (laughs) me personally, I have a regular built-in community around my recovery and around my social life and around my professional life. And there are a handful of people that I really connect with on a regular basis. And then there are like the, the historic connections that I have through family, community, and through friendship. But I actually struggle... I'm such an isolator and that's like that's part of my disease if you will is I can very easily shut myself in and read and write and work on projects and be alone and I think there's a difference between being alone and being lonely right I really love yeah. elements of of isolation I think they're really positive for us right we need to have some solitude we need to have if we're talking about that sort of stoicism there needs to be times where we are alone, whether I go out in the woods by myself or I sit at home for the day and really just do things that I want to do that I can't do with my partner or whatever it is. I think that is super important. It's equally as important to have the community. And if we're not constantly building the community around us and our recovery and our lifestyle, I think we're missing out on a huge component. It's again, talking about humans it's such a necessary part of our development and it's we don't really exist without it you know we have to be a part of a tribe and we're being pulled from that in so many ways we're being pulled and you know i I know everyone probably understands this now because it's been talked about so much but we're being pulled from that with social media we're being pulled from that i mean we don't even have to be in the same room to record a podcast you know we can be wherever we want to be. And and that's wonderful. And it's amazing. And I love it. And then there's also part of it where I, I love that in-person connection with people. And I think even the people that struggle socially need it. We all need that connection. 
and it's hard work like like we've been talking about with anything it's hard work, and you got to you got to put in the work to develop that community it's not just baked into most of our lives and that most likely means you're going to have to struggle and face your fears if you want it exactly you know social anxiety or uh you know again with me it's like the element of isolation is i can easily not do it but i choose to do it and i choose to challenge myself to do it i was talking to a friend the other night where there's a new friend and i said you know the reason that we are new friends is because when we met each other we said hey let's grab coffee let's grab lunch or let's do x y and z and then we actually did it there's so yeah. many times where we say that and it's a throwaway line and it's much more prevalent in certain communities of and and and, and groups of people but we really executed on it it was like okay we met at a dinner party and then the next day I texted him and I said, when are we having coffee? And he said, I'm free this time. And I said, great, I'll make it happen. And then we did it. And that, it's not that hard, Dwayne. It's just, it's the action. And it's that with recovery and it's with that with understanding self. It's how do we put all this stuff into action? And the more you do it, the more exciting it can be and the more fun you can have with it and the more friends you can make. And they all don't have to be our best friends. You know, I have a lot of friends that are acquaintances. I have a lot of friends that I would love to have around more often than not. And then I have the really core group, that community of sort of five or six people that I would trust with anything. And I think that's perfectly fine for me. And some people have more or less. Uh, it's just right. finding what works for you in a way. Yeah, and and you can build that community around you you can do it intentionally. You know, one of the things that I'm always saying on this podcast is if you're struggling, reach out for help, reach out for help, reach out for support, get support. You can start with a 12-step program, you know, community that way. You can start with a therapist. You can start with a coach. You can start like if you're struggling and and maybe you have trauma that also makes attachment hard because you've been wounded in your own childhood for whatever, you know, abuse, trauma, whatever it is. You can start slow, you know, you don't have to start like huge, it takes time to be able to do that and to build it and get to that space and and having patience to sit with that struggle of I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to reach out for help somewhere. It's a, uh, people ask me, oh, you know, what was it like for you during the COVID pandemic with work? You know, how that must have been a time where people really relied on you. And that is true, Dwayne. And I think for anyone in the helping profession or the therapeutic profession, or you as a podcaster, like all of these people that have the capacity to help, definitely, right? There was a huge influx of people to help. What I noticed, who is sort of subtle, was people are still really bad at asking for help right? There's plenty yeah. of people that are struggling even more now due to whatever circumstance. The difficulty of asking for help, we need to find a way, I think, as a community of people that are doing better, that are recovering, and that can have the, have the capacity to help other people. I think we need to do better than just saying, you can reach out for help, like you should reach out for help. I think we need to kind of squash this idea that it's difficult. And I don't know how that happens. Because it is difficult and there's no way around that. It's just we have to find a way to make it less difficult because you and I and other people, we reach out for help all the time. And it's I think it's about 
repetition. Yeah. It's like going to the gym. I'm going to lift this weight and I'm going to lift it over and over and over the same exact way. And in a year, it'll be too easy and I'll have to do 10 times that weight, right? So continuously, continuously asking for help it becomes a, a muscle. Yeah, it's a absolutely. it's a weird thing. I don't know how I don't know how to make it easier, but it, I feel like we have to figure that out because people need to to be conditioned. Maybe it starts earlier in life. Maybe it happens in school or with mentors earlier. Where this we're going to have a radical transformation of the way we conceptualize asking for help. Right? It's it's and it has to do with masculinity for sure, Dwayne. Where men are typically not empowered to ask for help. You should have it all figured out, and that's utter BS. Right? We I ask for totally. help all the time. Yeah, I, I think you know. I think talking about it or normalizing that process is a, is a way to make it easier. Because yeah, you're right. We we especially as men in our in our culture, we get drilled into us that we're supposed to be strong all the time. We're supposed to be stoic. We're supposed to have it all together. We're not supposed to talk about our emotions. Get it together. Stop crying. Get tough. You know, unfortunately, boys are taught that at such a young age. Man up. You know, what are you crying about? And it's, it's basically saying, I, I can't, I should have this all together. I'm not supposed to have any kind of weakness or or vulnerability. And so if I express that, then then I'm I'm not a man. And so therefore, I'm on my own. I mean, mm. it's it's so lonely in that space. It's like being told to bake a cake and not having any understanding of a stove or a spatula or, you know, like the ingredients that go into baking a cake. No one taught me how to be a man, you know, I, mm -hmm. in a way people did like over time I had these, these mentors or these people that would enter my life that would teach me something about masculinity. And, it, and again, I want to be very clear. This is not just about men it's this happens with femininity too and i think understanding yeah. our own the the masculine and the feminine it, it, that's how we become real sort of strong powerful masculine self is how does that dichotomy play so i was never taught these things as a kid and i think that's where we fail greater society and this culture of recovering people is hey this is how you do X, Y, and Z. And here's how you be vulnerable without being weak, right? You don't have to be, it's not, they're not synonymous. Being vulnerable yeah. is such a strong, it's like a superpower. If I can be vulnerable and I can process those emotions with my community, that generates extreme power. And I can do a lot of things with that. So you don't have to be vulnerable and fragile. It doesn't, yeah, they don't live in the absolutely. same space necessarily, right? And I think having more people to teach this and talk about it and, and unpack it, because I don't, I don't have all the answers. It's a really important part of our development through this next evolution of whatever we're going through. It's a big, it's a big time for everyone right now. And it's exciting. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think when we can be vulnerable, we can be with our own emotions, we get all the value that come with all our different emotions because our emotions can be such drivers of change within us and drivers of behavior that actually fulfill our needs and wants and desires. But if we're not in touch with that, we're, we're it's like walking blind uh, through the world. You, you, you know, you're doing stuff on somebody else's script. Mm. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, we, and, and we get so, so lost in that. So let's talk a little bit about how you help people go through this process and how you support individuals who may be kind of stuck in what we're talking about, right? They, they, they maybe have enough insight to say, I need to make some changes, but I'm, I'm, I, you know, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. There's, there's a couple different ways in which I do that personally. And then my business does that professionally. So I, Dane, am very happy to help almost anyone go through whatever they need to go through as long as I have the bandwidth to do that. And the cool thing about this is it's funny how all of these versions of these conversations relate to one another, but my community around my recovery community, it proposes that as being a, an element of my own change process. I need to get better to then help other people because that is the only way in which I remain well which is a lovely sort of like circle to live in is I get to get better. I get to help other people. I get more better. I get to help more people, so on and so forth. And the, the circle keeps turning. And then there's, you know, there's plenty of people that I know socially and, and I'm around all the time that are not part of the same recovery communities that I'm a part of. And I get to be, I'm very much that guy, right? I'm very much the guy that has one-on-one -on -one conversations at the dinner table of 15 people where people talk to me about something that's going on in their life. A great way to help other people is to just listen like so, and, and make eye contact with them and hear them and listen to them. And we don't always have to give, you know, the best advice or guidance. Sometimes it's just, Hey, I hear you. And that's really hard yeah. and validating that. And and it's, it sounds so simple and almost silly, but it's such a powerful thing. And so many people are missing that in their lives is just someone to listen and not judge and to sort of validate their feelings. So I, I do, I'm helpful to people in that way. I like teaching people new stuff. And there's a few things that I do as hobbies or socially that I'm very happy to bring other people into. And that's fun for me. And then professionally, again, I run a coaching agency called Reconstruction. What we do essentially is someone picks up the phone and they call us and they say, hey, I've got a problem. And then one of the people that works with us say, great, let's talk about that problem. Let's assess that problem. Let's understand you as a unique human being. Let's understand the complex systems that exist in your life. And let's put that all together and kind of build this understanding of who you are so that, so that we can customize a solution for you. We then develop a solution and we process that internally as a team. We propose that to our client and that client either says, yep, I'm ready to do that or nope, I'm too afraid to do that or I can't do that or so on and so forth. And then we execute on that solution. And that solution... Dwayne can be, you know, one unique coach working with one unique client in the most sort of subtle ways within that client's life can be super dialed down and be sort of one or two hours a week, just tweaking little behaviors. It can be the whole kitchen sink on the other side of the spectrum where we have multiple coaches, therapists, psychiatrists, trainers, nutritionists, you name it, that work with that client and that family and wrap around that person and that system to really create 
change basically 24 seven, right? We can redirect behavior in real time if we're given the opportunity to all the time. And that's a really, I think, unique part of the business I'm in. And there are some other people that do similar work. I'm not, I'm certainly not the only person that does this, but I like to think the work that we do with the family that we almost, we're getting to a place where we require an element of buy-in from our families of you're going to change too. And this doesn't happen unless everyone starts to work on themselves and then also communally. That's, I think, the simplest way of talking about how I help people personally and professionally. Again, I say I build therapeutic ecosystems. We build a new ecosystem for this client to exist in. I'm a big fan of And that helps, you know, having that ecosystem that is constantly being reverberated back to them makes those shifts in the brain, shifts in thinking. And I really believe we heal in community. We heal through the eyes of others. We need others in our corner. And sometimes we need, you know, we need, like you said, sometimes we just need a little bit. We need, we need that mentor that can just kind of push us along. And then sometimes we just need to be surrounded by that community to really get us unstuck. And I totally love that because I think that's where real change happens. And, and working in the professional, working as a helper, working as a therapist, working in treatment centers, I've seen that change process. And I, I guess I get so excited about it because I know it works. I, I've seen people like shift and myself included, right? You know, it's like you could do it. <laughs> Go out there, you know, find it. Like, don't wait. Yeah, exactly. And it it's different for everyone, right? And that's yeah. I don't mean that as a throwaway line. I really do mean that because you can get basically the same amount of help in very similar ways and not have to pay for it, right? Like there's yeah. many resource out there that my service is sort of high end. It's it's very expensive and it, it doesn't have to be. We can pare it down, right? There's parts of it where we can really cut back on and we can provide help for people and not have it be a tremendous amount of money and time. But I always tell, I actually, whenever I get to work with a family, I always say, let's look at the options that don't involve reconstruction unlimited. Like let's find ways to do this without me. And if there aren't ways or if people aren't willing to engage in those resources, then we become appropriate. But there's so many ways, you know, people call us about interventions and I, and I always, well, maybe not always Dwayne, but often I say, have you had a conversation with him or her? Like, have you just sat down and said, hey, there's something going on here and this probably needs to change because you're suffering or, you know, on the more extreme side, you're you're going to die because you keep doing X, Y, and Z and the change needs to happen now. And and I get, oftentimes I get, no, I've, I've never tried that. And I say, okay, well, let's work on that. Like, let's work on how to sort of transcend that fear of confrontation with a loved one. And then I'm going to coach you through for free, right? Just on the phone over time, how to confront that person in a loving invitational way. Like, Hey, yeah, come on over to this side. Let's do this. This is what it looks like. Are you up for it? And it doesn't always work, but I think it's a really good place to start. And that's, it happened for me, right? Like in that room, downtown Los Angeles with my family, it was things need to change. And I said, Oh, oh yeah, they do. Oh, I get it now. They They do do. need to change, right? Yeah. So we can, we can do again, the full kitchen sink, but there's so much resource out there 
for people who are struggling that doesn't cost a dime. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's out there, but it's, it's going through that struggle. It's, it's crossing that threshold. It's, it's having that courage, summoning that courage and just walking into it and, and trusting that you're, you're going to be okay and you're going to find your way through. So, all right. Well, Dane, we're getting to the, you know, our time here. I always like to ask one question before you go. And if anybody's out there listening, they're struggling, right? And you could say one thing to them, what would that one thing be? Hmm. That's a good question. I think I would say it's going to get better. You know, I think if you do the work and you put in the time and you want to get better, it's going to get better. You know, and I would also say, you know, pick up the phone and call people that you love. They will help you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That that's awesome. All right. Where, where can people find you? They want to know more information about you. Where can, where can they go? Yeah. You can go on Instagram. We're at reconstruction unlimited on Instagram and I'm at Dane Ensley on Instagram. Uh, we're also on Twitter, although I don't think we ever use it. And then we can, you can go to our website at reconstructionunlimited.com. Our number's there. Call us if you need us. Also, call us if you just want to have a chat. You know, we're available. We don't charge for our time in, in helping people, you know, over the phone. And we, we like to direct people to resource. That's, that's where you can find us. Awesome. I will put all those links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Dane, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your stories, sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So go check them out. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget, click the subscribe button or share the podcast with a friend. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.